0: Welcome to another episode of the Onward Faster podcast with Bobby Motes and Aaron Leff. Hi. I am really excited about our topic today um, because today we get to dive deep into the mind of Miss Aaron Leff. Um, and also wondering why that there's organic coconut cream on the table right now. Um, Listen.
1: Um- this is I just got released to be able to have coffee again from my doctor. I've been off of caffeine since September and it is now February. So, um it is what I am putting in my coffee to stay on track. Okay. So we we drink a lot of coffee in this office and I needed yeah to not drink it black.
0: I just made the switch to mushroom coffee from black coffee because black coffee overall is just bad for me, bad for my journey on my, uh, to achieve the optimal blood pressure. Right. Um, and so, and I've had mushroom coffee in the past and I know it gives you that same sort of pick me up Mm -hmm. and it's healthier for you. not going to stain my teeth, all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't, I can't do butter with my coffee. The whole butter coffee thing was, I I love it. And I can't do butter because I have heart disease and also Dairy is bad for my blood, apparently.
1: You should try coconut milk. I actually, if you get that in those little frothy things, it doesn't taste bad at all.
0: Well, I'm not, I'm not about tasting bad. I just,
1: I'm just. Well, people I'm think tra- coconut milk, and they're like, oh. Uh, uh.
0: Well, coconut, coconut's really good for you. I'm just trying yeah. to back off and see how I can get more coffee out of my life, basically. I love yeah. coffee, though, so much. I
1: survived six months. If I can do it, you can too, Bobby. I
0: can. I'll make it happen. I will. It's happening.
1: And even now that I'm drinking it again, like even this morning, I started off and I'm like, mm, I'm going to go back to my Rosso, which is the kind of like your mushroom drink. Yeah. Um, doesn't have any caffeine in it because I found myself in like flight or f- fight first thing in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to go back for a second because. I'm going like to tell
0: everybody the mushroom coffee is, is a, I remember when I first heard about it, I was sitting in the back of this Uber in like scottsdale arizona and we all thought that the driver was crazy when she was <laughs> talking about it because we talked about butter coffee and she's like oh you heard about mushroom coffee and we were like what it will change your life especially lion's mane
1: yeah yeah that's what's in the one that i the Rasa one is my favorite because it if you let it steep for 15 minutes it just tastes like chocolate milk almost with the coconut milk like it's really good yeah so, highly recommend okay you're gonna have to delete like that whole part
0: (laughs) no go for it mushroom coffee lion's mane will change your life because it will help to uh (laughs) like this is like a sales pitch right it's going
1: everybody buy stock and rasa (laughs) uh,
0: i'm not even i'm not even drinking that i got another one but the whole lion's mane thing is what it does is improves your memory so that it's and I've gone through this, I've had periods of time where I, for six months that I was taking Lion's main and there was a noticeable difference in the number, well, in the number of numbers and a number string, there's a lot of numbers, that I could remember at any given time. Short-term memory coming back to me like that, it was awesome. Anyways, I digress. We are talking about Aaron Leff today. It's happening. Yeah. And uh, not our health journeys, though. That could be part of it, right? That is yeah, that is I part mean, of it.
1: It's a big part of my it life is, right now, but it, it's not how I got here for is, sure.
0: It is not how you <laughs> got there. So I know we already did a, an expose on me. yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so everybody knows that already. If they've listened to all the podcasts, if you have not, I highly recommend you go listen to it because it's probably the best one that we've done.
1: <laughs> Until this one today. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, my life is pretty boring compared to Aaron's. I don't Um, know if that's the case. Yeah, it was was very boring. (laughs) Uh, So with that, where are you from?
1: I am from a little town outside of Houston called Patterson, Texas. That's a town of 300 people. Um, I grew up there from like the ages of four to 18. And then before that, we were just I did Houston. not even know
0: that. Pattison, Texas. Mm-hmm. I have never heard that. And I grew up in my, in Texas mm-hmm. my whole life.
1: Mm-hmm. Pattison, Texas. Yep. Just a little blip on the map.
0: Wow.
2: I can't
1: believe you didn't know that.
0: No, I thought it was like yeah. Katie or something. I
1: mean, I say Katie because they're, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes apart. But yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: It's in the boonies for sure. I mean. Closest Walmart was like You mean the woods? Minutes. It's all woods over oh, there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, it was the woods. Okay. That's yeah.
0: like back in the middle of nowhere woods. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Okay. So from Pattison, Texas, um what did you do at a young age? Like what what was your hobbies?
1: Um well, I was a horse girl when I was a kid, actually. I rode horses, um and then shortly after horses, I got into singing. Uh, which probably isn't a surprise for anybody that's listening that actually knows me. Um, I went to a festival in Brookshire, which was the town that was right next to Patterson, and we were at the Freedom Festival, and I'll never forget, I saw some girl who was probably 12 or 13 up there singing on like the steps um, of the courthouse, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And so um, from there, uh, my mom was like, "Okay." And my parents both had musical backgrounds, never thinking that their kid would want to end up some type of singer, musician in the business, whatever. And so like my dad was um, promotions manager for ZZ Top, Lover Boy, Kansas. I mean, back in the 80s was kind of a big deal. He owned Mm -hmm. the Winter Garden, which was a venue in Dallas. Um, my mom worked for Merv Griffin in the TV show Dance Fever. She was also on the radio. Uh, My dad had a lot of radio spots and so it kind of, uh, it's in my blood, I guess. But yeah, so then um, when I was a kid, I started singing and it started off uh, the next year at me singing at that Freedom Festival. And then eventually uh, my mom started booking me at all these, you know, the mini festivals around Texas. And then I got into performing arts school and just kind of.
0: How old were you when you started doing this?
1: Eight, eight, seven, seven, eight. I mean, I, I was pretty young. Yeah, I was pretty young.
0: Yeah. I have a seven-year-old, and she would not be like that. She would not just say, "Hey, I want to do that," and that's what I'm, and I'm going to go start booking <laughs> gigs. That would not be my seven. That, Josephine, no way, <laughs> no way. Um, that's cool. Um, uh, so you're booking gigs at the age of eight?
1: Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm sure was. And I'd get up there, I would practice like for hours and hours a day. Like my dad bought me a PA system and I would go up to our game room and I practiced every single day for like three or four hours. And then I would go out to these these gigs and i would just take my karaoke i would burn back when people used to burn cd's <laughs> i'm aging myself here um, i would burn these cd's and take it to these festivals and they would just play the cd and i'd hit one song after another for like a 30 45 minute set and i'd get off stage and go home did they pay you sometimes yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. wow yeah it depend it depended on the gig sometimes it was more of like a a talent show situation it just you know i would take whatever i could get at that point
0: okay so you did that all through all through elementary, middle school, and high school?
1: Um, about h- high school, um, I kind of came out of. Um, so, elementary and middle school, I ended up going to performing arts school. So, show choir. I yeah. can tap dance and sing at the same time. It's true talent. Um, and um, was on dance company. And, you know, we traveled with show choir. And through that is really where I got the. Um, feel of being in front of people a lot because we were constantly performing. Like mm-hmm. we performed on cruise ships and we would come back and we would perform um, at the malls for the holidays and like there, it was a pretty big deal and that consumed most of my life up until high school. And then in high school, it kind of turned back the focus just directly on me and then I started to to book gigs again and um, and do that on the weekends. Like I did the State Fair of Texas, like there was... You know, there was some, the Pasadena fair I did, I got, I'm pretty sure I got paid for that one. I can't even remember, to be honest. But yeah, I did, I did that all the way through high school.
0: All the way through high school?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Instead of, I wasn't in like high school activities, like I did that instead.
0: Oh, so you went around, you you sang a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. By yourself? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And your mom was running all of this? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I did in high school, I mean, I, I played sports, but other than that, I just kind of sat around at home, <laughs> like yeah, sports and sitting around at home.
1: Yeah. If you know my parents, you're not, there ain't no sitting at their house, okay? There is no chill.
0: Okay. Okay. So high school, you're singing, you're knocking out of the park, you're getting paid. You're basically a professional singer at this point. Mm-hmm. What did you do post high school?
1: Post high school, I... Um, made the decision to go to Austin community college. There was actually a gentleman there that was in the music business with my dad back in the day. He ran a commercial music management program Mm -hmm. and my dad essentially sent me there and was like, go learn from them. I mean, it was that or full sale to like look like to go somewhere for college for it and like actually learn the business. And, Um, Austin was just a little bit closer to home and I felt more freedom in that. So yeah, I went to Austin community college and did commercial music management. And then, um, somewhere inside of my very first semester, second semester, first semester, um, at college, I started a band.
0: What was the name?
1: I knew you were going to ask me that. (laughs) (laughs) We paint the town.
0: Okay. You also go look them up. Shut up, Bobby. (laughs) Um, Okay, so you started a band (laughs) and you did college at the same time or did you drop out?
1: No, no, no. I mean, I went through and I got my associates in commercial music management. Um, I continued for another year after that, headed towards, you know, my bachelor's and was thinking I was going to transfer to UT and just decided I wasn't Mm -hmm. passionate enough about it. So that didn't happen. So
0: you're in Austin, Texas. You're not necessarily Mm -hmm. around a lot of people that you know. Mm -mm. How did you find a band? Like how does that work?
1: <laughs> Craigslist back in the day, Craigslist. like the most safe thing I probably could have done. Well, and I um, lead Jen off
0: Craigslist.
1: <laughs> that's right. Um, and at the time, I had I had cultivated friends inside of the commercial music management program, and you know I'd go to parties and hang out with other musicians and stuff. So there were there were some people of the band that happened a little bit more organically than that. Mm-hmm. But um, the two people that ended up being actually the most impactful to that band were through Craigslist, Oh, shockingly enough. Wow. Yeah. It was I legitimate mean, back then, OK? It was. I feel your judgment. <laughs>
0: no, I looked for jobs out of college on <laughs> Craigslist. Some of them were not legitimate, but a lot yeah. of them were. Like, that's what no, you yeah, did. that's where you and, connected. In real estate in the early 90s, Craigslist was a legitimate
2: yeah.
0: um, lead gen source.
1: There were no Facebook groups. Like, there's Facebook groups now for that kind of stuff. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Not anymore. Yeah. OK. So, you started a band, you you thought about going to get your bachelors, but you kept, you you decided you didn't want to because why?
1: Um, Just because I didn't feel like there was anything there that I was passionate about. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to pay that kind of money for college, it ought to be something I'm really, really excited about. Mm. And I just wasn't, that wasn't where my fire was there. I knew my actually was pretty self-aware then. And I knew myself well enough to know that I wasn't going to go to class if I didn't really care about it.
0: Right. I think we all did that in college though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so what, what what were you passionate about at the time?
1: Music. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, but, um, you know, there, there, was, there was that part of it. There was a part of that um, where I became really, really passionate about health and fitness um, inside mm-hmm. of there. And anybody um, as a female that was in front of uh, on stage in front of other females, usually it was the females who were mean, like they were they were mean. So I became really passionate about um, making sure that I was as healthy as I could be and that mm-hmm. I looked my best and that I sounded my best. And I probably became what I would consider now overly critical of who I was then um, just to be able to perform at the highest capacity possible. But yeah, I mean, like it was, it was a tough, tough come up for your self esteem to throw yourself out there on stage and think that people are going to have nice things to say about you.
0: So you're, how old are you at this time when you're done with that ACC? I do 20, 20, 20,
1: 21. 21. maybe that may even be a little late. 20, 21.
0: And you're not gonna go continue into the music management industry, right? That that wasn't your or you weren't gonna go get more more another degree around that no. specifically. No. Um you were continuing with the band. hmm Um how do you make a living? How did you make a living doing that?
1: Uh, I love my dad. Okay. <laughs> Um, no, I, to talk about it super frankly, you know, I always had a job growing up. Like I, you know, I worked in a grocery store at 15. Like I was never afraid of hard work. That was never, um, that was never the case. However, my parents were also always very financially supportive and made sure that I had everything that I ever needed to Mm -hmm. make sure that I could do whatever I dreamed about and was passionate about. And so for that, I'm eternally grateful because I know that most people don't have that opportunity. And I did carry a job throughout that entire time working with the band. So I was going to college. I was in the band and I was also working for, um, children, a children's fitness center called my gym. Um, if you're in Austin, you probably know it. It's in South Austin. And I actually really loved that job. I was (laughs) really good at it too. Um, where you're essentially leading like children's fitness classes. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's you sing songs and you teach them gymnastics. And, um, and so that was really fun too, but that carried me job wise. But that wasn't enough money to pay for life at that point.
0: Okay. So how long did you do the band?
1: Um till I was like
0: twenty three. So for another few years mm-hmm. you did the band? Mm-hmm. And how did you end up booking gigs for that? I that just kinda blows my mind how that <laughs> happens. I don't like I I don't know that I don't know any of the music industry, like how that even works.
1: Um, I was probably stupidly fearless in well, some ways. I mean that too. makes sense. Uh, yeah, still am. But I haven't yeah. unlearned that trait. Um, and you know, you if you don't ask, you don't get. And I always came from that perspective. We were never afraid mm-hmm. to reach out there to people. And my mom taught me that, like going out there and initially booking me gigs. Right, like what mom reaches out there and is like, let me let my eight year old daughter sing in front of all of these people. Like, how do you even pitch that? You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so I learned that. I learned that from her. She was really fearless when it came to going out and asking people things. <clears throat> So, um, yeah, we just asked, and then you become friends with other bands and then those bands are like, well, come open for us. So we've got this show. Um, do you want to play on this, uh, uh, at this venue or, you know, whatever the case may be. So it just kind of became a little organic and we practiced at music labs in South Austin. So mm-hmm. you just sort of create this community around it and then people know who you are and then they start asking questions.
0: Okay, so the, the key to your band's success included getting uncomfortable doing uncomfortable things, mm-hmm. right? Going out there and meeting strangers and having conversations. Mm-hmm. What does that sound like? Asking for things? Just just going out there and asking for them. Just pick up the phone and call yeah. them. Ask for it.
1: And actually, that's funny that you say that because I always equated that to why I would be great at real estate very, very early on. I was having that conversation with myself. I'm like, I've already done this. I've negotiated contracts mm-hmm. for what we were gonna make when we played. I've already like I'm not afraid to have the conversations. Like that feels really easy to me. Like that's not a big deal. I already know how to sell myself. I've been doing that my whole life. Like that's right. You know that's sort of my chemical makeup. And um, so that yeah, that that's why that felt really easy. Yeah.
0: I uh, I asked that also and bring that up because it's this this is something when you're raising kids you. You want your kids to grow up and be successful and have those skill sets to be comfortable in front of people, to be able to ask for things when they want it, to be able to, you know, be um comfortable being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Not just in front of a crowd, mm-hmm. but but in front of like people and asking for specific things. And it's something that most people don't know how to teach their kids. Yeah. And so it sounds like your mom, your parents had the, the uh the formula just mm-hmm. Put them in front of a stage, <laughs> tell them to go make a living for themselves, selling them <laughs> themselves in a, in a band. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, no.
1: that's it. No, and to be clear, too, they it was never something that they pushed on me. It was always just something that I really wanted, and yeah. then they facilitated. So that was somewhere within me, my own personal okay. drive. That was always me wanting to prove that I could do it.
0: Okay. And, and they supported you in doing that, too, which is awesome. Yeah, totally. Which is awesome. 100%. Um, so you, you did the band for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from there? Like you're <laughs> we're, you're we're a rock star. Where do you go from being a rock star?
1: Yeah. Um. And this is about the time in my life where I wish that I had had some type of life mentor, or maybe even a therapist at that point. Like. So there became this time period where one of the people who meant the most to me in the band and was the person that I was writing all of the songs with decided that he was leaving Mm -hmm. and going to move to Colorado. And I don't remember what the full story is. I do remember I lost my mind, though. Like, I remember full on like blackout rage. And I've never experienced that since. And that was the only time Mm -hmm. um, that that happened. We had had gigs booked for South by Southwest and everything that we were pulling out of because of his decision Uh, Um, money that we had put down at a recording studio in order to continue making music. And we also had to pull out of that. And so there was a lot of factors that, that had gone into that. And um, we really believed we were on the cusp of like massive success. We were just starting to get the recognition that we deserved and that happened and things kind of fell apart. And I think all, everybody's hearts were broken. And at that point I felt like, well, I'm 23. I'm too old to do anything else. <laughs> 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 Which is, that's truly how I was feeling at that time. I'm like, well, time to go get a big girl job. And so, you know, that, that's what I did. It was about that time that my dad was like, you know, we've given a lot. It's time for you to get out there. And I didn't, you know, I didn't disagree with that. So um, I went out there to get a big girl sales job, um, which I did at th- an athletic club, um, Lifetime Fitness, mm-hmm. and I came in as a very, very green sales agent, because um, I wanted to do something that I had already been passionate about, and again, fitness and health and is something I've always struggled with, and it's yeah. always been challenging for me, so I was... In thought, putting myself in the right environment to continue that. And that's not how that ended up. But that was my thought process at the time was to put myself in a healthy environment so I could at least stick with that part.
0: So you went into a a sales role at a health club Mm -hmm. um, as like a newbie, bottom of the totem pole. But the skill sets that you already had are things that it, it takes real estate agents and salespeople a long time to learn. So what happened there? having that that skill set. I assume there's a lot of people that went that started that role with you that did not have any sort of background you had just assumed they were going to be good at it. How did that turn out?
1: Yeah so um, I went into lifetime you know what and I actually at this point in my life got really really lucky. I had two mentors at that very first club that I joined that I really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the, that was where my passion actually for leadership was ignited a little bit because I saw how impactful those guys were to the people underneath them and how those conversations that they're having can open your head up and teach you different things and so I went into that not really knowing what I was getting myself into but I went into that as a sponge. And, again, with the strain within me of, like, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to figure this out. Like, it's going to be me. Like, I want this, right? Yeah. And so once I made that decision, um, you know, I I did become one of the top sales reps there. I didn't look like everybody else looked. And I think that um, that actually helped me in that sense because people could – identify that you know they're coming into a club a lot of them for the first time they've got these big fitness goals they've got Mm -hmm. these big health goals and they want to connect with somebody who's kind of like them and that was me and so because of that I did incredibly well I made more money at 23 24 than any 23 or 24 year old should ever make um and so yeah I was really successful and then from there they moved me to San Antonio to go into like Club recovery, I went into to this club at the rim and, um, you know, spent the next year or so of my life turning it around. And that went incredibly successful. I went in and we restructured the team and we won for 12 months straight at both acquisition and retention. And it was super fun. You know, we I went in and did what I said that I was going to do. And um, that was that.
0: So how long were you at Lifetime?
1: A little over three years. 3 years, I think. I don't know. It's all, honestly, it's all a blur at this point.
0: That's not very long <clears throat> to go from green to knocking it out of the park, re- rebuilding a club for them and all that. So you were succeeding at a very high level mm-hmm. within that life. Why are you still not at lifetime and they don't have you running their whole company? What happened?
2: <laughs> oh, oof. The
1: truth <laughs> The truth is I was um one of very few females shout out Rachel Carter um, who was at Lifetime and um, to speak directly to it who was above me I have this theory that most uber successful companies are actually lost inside of mental management and here's what I mean by that I would consider myself talent, especially at that role. I was really good at it. I was passionate about it. I cared about our members. I cared about how well the club did. And at some point when it came to conversations about moving me up, I got shut down by the boys club that was right above me. And I stuck around, tried to fight it out, tried to figure out how to connect with them, tried to figure out if I even wanted him as my direct boss And, um, you know, push came to shove and I just, I didn't, I, they weren't the kind of people that I wanted to be associated with. And in fact, they were anti what I had just built and there had never been a club that won on both sides for 12 months in a row. And I kept going round and round going, why aren't they asking me what I was doing? Why aren't they asking me how I did it? Why? Yeah. Why? (laughs) Like, how do you have somebody win this big and somebody not go... Aaron, what are you doing? And calling me out and asking me to teach or train or coach other people to do what I had been doing. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure that out. And because they weren't recognizing it, it just I just it took all the wind out of my sails. Yeah. Um, so I decided to leave.
0: Okay. Well, their loss. Yeah. Um, it sounds like they they weren't able to create a world that was close to big enough for you. And
1: well, and I knew corporate lifetime. I knew that they were recognizing me and I knew that they had understood where I was because I'd gone through the, you know, all the management training Mm -hmm. and everything like that. But at the end of the day, the person who was responsible for my trajectory was somebody that didn't get me.
0: I get that. I get that. So all of that, Mm -hmm. where did you go next?
1: Well, (laughs) one of my members was actually a team leader at Keller Williams and she dropped the seed. Um, it didn't happen right then. I came back to Austin and I floundered for a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I bounced around from job to job, really trying to figure out what it is that I was wanting to do. And, um, you know, I I came around too, and I was like, well, what I want is freedom. And I want the, you know, I want to be able to choose the kind of life that I live. And the more that I talked about it, the more that I thought about it, the more I was like, okay, you just, you need to do this. And that was what I did. And so I not knowing any better, um, started looking online and found an ISA position at KW, and I started there.
0: So you started as an ISA. You, you uh, based on everything that you've told me, mm-hmm. it sounds like that's something you would be crushing.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> eventually, uh, the truth is, is that I came in and I, fl- I mean, I floundered for like the first six months, and little did I know that I had gotten kind of a a shitty job because what I realized now it was a hundred percent, you know, it was a hundred percent commission and I had no training, no database, no anything now looking back. And I was just, you know, hitting the expireds and the for sale by owners and trying to figure out how to set an appointment. And then I'd figure that out. And then I'd figure out, well, how do I make them show up? Like I'm talking like very minimal training you know like i knew nothing yeah. so i grinded it out for like six months because he didn't you know the guy i worked for he didn't care either because he wasn't really paying me anything until i got a win okay right like so there was like there was no incentive this was
0: back during the wild west of the isa days yes yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) yes yes it was okay um and so that was my come up and then at about six months and I showed up every single day at 8am. And I left every day at 5pm or later. And I came in on Saturdays sometimes and did the thing. And like, you know, I mean, it was a lot of work. And then about six months, I figured it out. And um, yeah, I started setting appointments then. And one of the very first deals that we took was a million dollar property. And that was pretty exciting. And so I started, you know, getting really comfortable as an isa and then he's like oh find me another one and train them and i'm like okay and so then i did that right um and then when we did it with another one and then another one and all of a sudden i had this big isa team and to save you guys the sob story long story short i became his buyer's agent and then one day i walked in and he fired everybody and said i want to go live at my lake house and i said cool have a good life wow um and you know we had a lot of deals running I'd worked really hard to build up to the place that we had become and then he just pulled out from underneath me and I thought I don't know why I'm doing this and I'm went through what most people go through I just think I probably went through it a little later when it comes to real estate but Mm -hmm. yeah I had that conversation and then went round and round and round. Am I doing this by myself? Am I joining a team? Like, and I did not, I was not absorbed in the KW culture. I didn't know anything about Keller Williams at that Mm -hmm. point, even though I was technically on a team, I had never been to a lick of training. Yeah. Like my (laughs) Jean grub, if you're listening, close your ears. She's our, she was our broker back then. Um, (laughs) Uh, The very first weekend out that I was a buyer's agent, I had three contracts to write. I had worked my tail off. I had three clients, took them all out Memorial Day weekend. We were writing contracts on three different houses, okay? Okay. Three different clients. And I am on the phone with a lender going, I don't know how to write a contract. (laughs) (laughs) And this poor lender is listening to me going, what? And then I'm li- I'm asking him for help over the phone about what to fill in and each blank. Going, there is n-, like looking back. I'm like I have no idea how I oh,
2: man.
1: did not get into a lawsuit. Um, but we all survived. Everybody got their houses. Everybody was happy. Thank God. Knock on wood. Um, but yeah, that was my very first weekend out. And within my first two months, I had closed eight deals. Um, at that point. Um, so yeah, I I kicked it off pretty strong with.
0: So it sounds like you, you have over, you know, this, uh, and you were, you were doing this role still in your 20s, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in your 20s, you created and um, successfully created from scratch three different organizations.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> you took them from, from nothing and built them up to, mm-hmm. to be successful. The first one, mm-hmm. other people didn't want to continue going. The second mm-hmm. one, They didn't want to support you, and Mm -hmm. this one, like, the guy wanted to quit, right? So, it it was a lot of bad beats, Mm -hmm. bad breaks um, at the end of it, but you have a track record of taking something that's nothing or floundering and building it up into something successful, and Mm -hmm. um, that's all in your 20s, three different ones in your 20s.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, that was all before the age of 27. That's crazy. Yeah, because I think I'm, uh, I met you at 27.
0: Yeah. Okay. We can talk about that next. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to ask you, if, if you would have had like the, what we know now about building an ISA department, like mm-hmm. having a canary in a database and all that stuff and being mm-hmm. able to, to do the things, the process that we have, mm-hmm. what would have happened in that ISA role for you? You'd still be doing it.
1: Probably. Yeah. I'd probably like love that job and would still be still be doing it.
0: It's amazing where we've come from the wild west, of the ISA world to to where we are now where people can make a a tremendous living off of just doing that.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I could, I, I did, I did pretty well back then. And I, um, once I figured it out, I did well, but it was that period of like Mm really, you know, kind of like Shana grinded with open houses. My grind was just a little different. Yeah. And I, um, you know, that, yeah that's that's how that worked out and so I did well once I figured it out but yeah man getting to getting to the place where you figure it out was hard
0: so you're seeing a lot of success you're rolling you've got a team of ISAs you're a buyer's agent you've you've got all the contracts coming in Mm -hmm. one day your boss comes in and says I quit Mm -hmm. you're all fired Mm -hmm. what did Mm -hmm. you do (laughs) Um, I t- obviously quit real estate cause that's what everybody does.
1: Right. 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 I probably, that probably should have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I went back to have a conversation with the market center. They didn't even really know who I was at that point, And I had to like go introduce myself and tell them who I was. And like, you know, they didn't know who they were meeting, which was fine. I hadn't really proved myself at that point in real estate. Like everything I had done went under his name because again, back then I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to them and I said, well, few things, either I'm going to do this on my own, I'm going to get out of real estate, or I'm going to partner with a team, which I understood as like my options. Right. And so mm-hmm. I had never really explored those conversations and, you know, I'd never been through the like hiring process. I'd never, you know, done any of that. And then um, speaking with Diane Johnson. She was like, you need to meet the Moats team. Because one of the things that I kept saying when I was coming out of it, I was like, I just want to work for somebody kind. I want <laughs> <I just>, to <laughs> work, work for somebody that like, will be nice to me. And unfortunately, that was where I was at, truly. Um, and you know, then she was like, no, you need to meet the Moats team. Because she was asking me, like, what do you think you're good at? And I was like, probably leading a team. Like, that's probably where I need to be. I need to marry this real estate thing and what I know I'm good at, which is building teams. Um, and so, yeah, and then she introduced me to you guys and you weren't there that day. Oh, I wasn't. You were not there that day. Okay. Um, and so then I went back to the other office that I was still like, you know, there was like this crossover period where I was still mm-hmm. using the office cause he wasn't there. And anyways, I went back to that other office and got online and, um, you know, looked at Indeed. It wasn't anything I found interesting on De- Indeed. So I went home that day and then I woke up two days later, and was on Indeed and saw the posting that you posted. And I was like, that's who she told me to talk to. So uh. <laughs> that's who she said I needed to talk to. So I applied immediately. Um, and then you responded within like 30 minutes. And I busted in your door when Shana was not having a great day. That was...
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I put that um, ad on. Like that morning, we put the ad up. We're like, well, let's do this expansion thing. I put that ad up. And then we went to lunch and I came back. And we had talked about it. And we're like, let's just take it off. It doesn't make any sense. And I came to take it down, and we had one application. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, and yeah, that's. And I forget what happened that day. It was Shana was. That uh, was probably about the time Josephine was born, and so we were just having issues with trying to maintain two kids in a yeah. real estate. She was do just real having a full rough time. day. I yeah.
1: felt for her. That, that you could just see it on her. Um, yeah, and that's so funny. Everything happens for a reason, Bobby. Even some of your crazy ideas.
0: My crazy ideas happen for a reason. Yeah. Yes, it's true. They do. Um, so, I mean, l- long story short, I know we've talked about a lot at what that has happened mm-hmm. um, since you joined the team mm-hmm. on previous podcasts. But maybe condense that down um, and and talk to people about what has happened since you have merged and your your powers with our powers.
1: <laughs> well. Um- It was a truly magical moment, I think, without any of us knowing that that's really what was happening at that point. Mm -hmm. The strains that I got in you guys' leadership were some of the strains that were the same in the other arenas that I had been really successful in. So one of the people that I didn't talk about um, at Lifetime, who was a big part of my success, his name is Wally. And Wally was a very similar leader to you, Bobby. He um, was quieter than me. I was definitely the louder of the two of us. But one of the things that you guys both did really well was just hand the torch over. Mm -hmm. Like you just trusted me almost instantly and just like handed it over and was like, you go girlfriend. And that was what Wally did. And that's also what you did. And you know, that trust gave me the opportunity to fail regularly without me feeling um, like it wasn't okay. Does that make sense? Like, like I, failure is important in success. And I got to just do it over and over and over and over and it not matter to you. Yeah. Um, and so between me starting Northwest, coming out of the gate, hiring five people um, in those first six months to where we are now, um, I'm president of the team started up somewhere in there as director of sales. When you went over to KWRI and grew us from a team of, I think when I initially took over, it was like, four maybe
0: i think they all quit when i was a kid of your too they did okay. yeah
1: well i squeezed and they quit mm-hmm. there were people who sat there like a year who hadn't sold anything so yeah um, and I sort of wiped the slate clean to like rebuild the culture and we did that and it's gone really well since. Yeah. Do you want more detail than that out of me? I'm feeling very high D.
0: No, that's, <laughs> yeah, we were high D with the whole thing. And I, at the beginning of this, I think we we're like a $25 million team when you jumped on. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year we closed over a hundred million. The year before that is about 130 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have over, you know, grown by over a hundred million dollars since you joined the mm-hmm. team. And it, it, I think the, the same chord rings true with every organization that you've been at. What's the difference here versus those other ones?
1: That there was no ceiling. Like there were def, there've definitely been times in my career with you guys where I felt like maybe there was a ceiling for mm-hmm. a little bit. And then we break through that, right? We figure out, we figure out something and everything that we've been through has been like look, sitting where we are today, looking back has been very serendipitous. Like again, everything happens for a reason. And, um, I truly, there's a dog in the office today. (laughs) Um, everything, everything happens for a reason. And Mm -hmm. you know, there was always a light at the end of the tunnel for me in this. And I'm also, I've always had the opportunity to do the thing that I was passionate about and there is no cap on our growth, right? Like we can go anywhere, we can do anything. And um, you guys have put me in a position to to see that on a regular basis, right? We're really close to KW International. There are lots of big teams out of this market center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we haven't even reached our full potential yet from my perspective.
0: Well, I, I mean, I agree. Um, now there's a lot of you know, real estate teams out there or other organizations looking for the next Aaron Left, Somebody <laughs> to come in who, um, to t- help them take ownership along with them mm-hmm. and strive to see success in the organization um, at the, at the, at the s- with the same desire that they have, mm-hmm. right, right? In real estate, it's director of sales, maybe you're a director of Legion, maybe you're looking for um, an expansion partner. You're looking for somebody to come in and actually partner with you to help you grow. That has the same drive that you do. What sort of advice would you give them to um, to find that person?
1: It's the person that you're interviewing that scares you the most, and I mean that like in the way that Bobby, when you and I met, you're you're really great at. Seeing the vision and the opportunity long term, and being able to convey that at a really high level and meeting some of the other people that I've met through, mm-hmm. you know other teams, et cetera, consulting, whatever, usually they have a very set way of doing things, and they already have this very finite vision in their head versus having a conversation with somebody and being able to see something different than they initially thought. And you can turn that on a dime. Most people can't do that. And I think that that's actually been part of our superpower a little bit. And it was the thing that that y'all had that other people didn't have when I was going through interviews and deciding what I was going to do next is that ability to see it and go, yep, we can totally grow this. Let's go, girlfriend. And everybody else was like, well, you need to like prove yourself. And like, here are these other metrics that you need to hit. And it felt like...
0: Slow down a little bit.
1: Yes. Thank you which has been sort of the theme from everything that's ever not worked out in my life is everybody was always trying to slow me down Mm
2: -hmm.
1: versus handing over the torch. And that's what most people can't do. Most people have egos too big to say, yeah, you come in and be passionate about this thing with, with us, for us together. Most people won't do that. Most people are like, no, 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 you're below me. Like you, you work for me. Right. And you guys never, ever made me feel that way.
0: I think one of the big things too, from my perspective, is you want to find somebody that will come in and just take things and just run with it. Mm-hmm. And to, there's too many organizations out there and leadership within organizations that wants to like they want to control every aspect of of the direction mm-hmm. and, and the growth and the uh, success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the one of the biggest things that I've learned with working with you is you just gotta let it go and let somebody else run with it because. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to get where you want to go, period, yeah. is to do it together with people, not, not try and take everything for yourself.
1: Yeah, And it's possible that there are other people out there better at other things than you are, right? Like
0: Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like,
1: I could never do the techie side of things. Like, that's never going to be me. And if you were asking me to go in and code something, like, I would just quit right? But if you're asking me to go live in the thing that I'm passionate about, which is what you guys gave me the opportunity to do, like, yes, Aaron, go build, go train, go, Mm -hmm. go recruit, go find people who want to work with us, right? Like we've Mm -hmm. got this really awesome value proposition. Here are these things that we are passionate about as an organization. Like we're really excited about this and impacting our communities. Can you help us grow this? And the answer all day long is hell yeah, I can. That sounds awesome. I'm going to go figure it out. And that's That is the strain now that I look for and the talent that we bring on for, for our leadership, right? It's, right. It's, it's, the, it's the ability to take the torch. If I'm totally handing off the torch and just checking on you mm-hmm. like a week from now on that thing that we handed off, I can confidently say that they're executing.
0: That's awesome. So if you're going to leave the audience with one, one final thought, um, what would that be?
2: I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea.
0: You know, there's something you said earlier um, (laughs) that, you know, when we were asking, you know, what's... These chairs are really creaky. (laughs) They are. (laughs) It is. um, Hopefully it's not, like... Hopefully it hasn't been in the audio the whole time. (laughs) It's fine. Um, But, uh, you know, growing up, my father imparted in me, like, the whole... You never get anything in your your life if you don't ask for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I feel like you mentioned that that was one of the things that you learned in the very beginning Mm -hmm. of your career and starting a band. Um, And I think that's, you know, that's also been a theme of these stories that you've been been telling Mm -hmm. about about your life that you just went out and you grabbed it. Mm -hmm. And most people are afraid to do that. Yeah.
1: Um, I was never, yeah, I was, I was never, and have never been afraid to fall flat on my face. Um,
0: yeah. Fear yeah. of failure will prevent, prevent you from moving all day long.
1: Yeah. No, no, I did I mean, and there was so many shows where I did not do well and right. Like there were so many shows where I was sick or I cracked or I didn't do the thing perfectly. And you mm-hmm. just get back up and you try again. And that is so similar to real estate and that, like that resilience piece, it's we get down, we get back up again. We get down, we get back up again. We get down, we get back up again. And we do that over and over and over and over and over and over until you get it right. And at some point, you just kind of look up and you're like, holy shit, man, we built that. Okay. Yeah. What do we do next?
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So if you're listening and um, you want to find your next Aaron left to come help you grow, or you, you're looking for a, a great mentor um, to help you be more like her um don't call me call her or if you're coming to family reunion she is actually hosting a director of sales mastermind
1: that's right you can find it on my facebook page my instagram page link is in my bio aaron left aaron left chaos or just aaron left on facebook
0: yeah and it's going to be powerful and there's going to be a lot of stuff happening there And it's probably going to be standing room only. So um, (laughs) if you are going to Anaheim for Keller Williams Family family Reunion, stop in because it's going to be the best session you've been at. Yeah. Thanks for
1: having me today, Bobby. This was great. Yeah.
0: Now we know more about Aaron Leff and the audience just feels closer to you. Oh, I'm sure. This is going to inform so many more podcasts and allow them to understand you at a deeper level when we talk about things.
1: Right. Just give me a hug next time you see me.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, Thank you for listening to our episode of the Onward Faster podcast where we talk about Miss Aaron Leff. And uh, any parting words? No?
1: Make great choices. There
0: you go. There you go. See you guys uh, next time on the Onward Faster podcast.